Welcome back to Mages and Murder Dads, the best show dedicated to the games beyond Baldur's Gate. This is episode 52, and we're playing Planescape Torment. In fact, we finished Planescape Torment. I'm Cameron, and I played the Nameless One. And I am Danny, and I played the Nameless One. Did you ever come, come, come to a conclusion about what your name is? It's definitely Steve. Steve, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We know Steve. We do know Steve, but I, the thing is, I think that uh, the Nameless One's identity, the, just the nature of it, it's, maybe it's for the best that you're just called the Nameless One the whole time. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's a mystery you don't plumb. You don't need to plumb those depths, bro. Leave no. those depths alone. The yeah. classic Pink Floyd line. Leave hey, it. depth plumber, leave them depths alone. Hey, dwarves, stop being so greedy. Yeah, that was there. Don't uh, unfortunate other concept <laughs> album. Don't you dig so deep? Oh gosh, I'm sick. I don't feel good. Yeah. Um. So is that related to Planescape Torment? Yeah. I uh, I asked myself, what can change the nature of a man? Ravel and then appeared and just like coughed directly into your nose as you were inhaling. No, I think it was mostly I, I only ate potato chips uh, and gave up vegetables because I thought, hey, nutrition can change the nature of a man. Mm. I'm going to become a Skeletor. You know what's uh, actually true? Kunzelman only eats potato chips. It is like a yeah. known It's a, known, it's a thing. known fact. That's all I eat. I had a potato for dinner. I had a whole potato. That's good. Was it a sweet potato? Nope. Normal. Um, I had a little housewarming party. And I got a little, I got, I got a few, I got two pieces of bread and like three types of cheese um, and put it on if a you're cutting not board. A, if you're not supporting us on Patreon, this would be a great time to do that because this is basically what our monthly podcast is. <laughs> We're giving you a little bit of preview content of, uh, of what that experience is like. Yeah. But uh, maybe we'll save maybe we'll save your exact charcuterie experience <laughs> for the the Patreon podcast. I will, but I was only saying it because I, I was chopping up the cheese, and and you know what came to my mind? What question? What, what was that? What can change the nature of a man? What can change the nature of a man? So, so what is the answer to that question? Well, here's the, I have a, a question that begins before that question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It shows up in specific contexts, right? Mm-hmm. It shows up as a reflective question to the nameless one. Yeah. Over and over again, it's asked, what can change the nature of a man being, meaning that is there something essential inside of a person that makes them unchangeable? Sure. Right? It Like, is there something there or is there not? It shows up when Ravel asks it. And uh, and she doesn't care, right? It's not a real question mm-hmm. to her, right? It's like it's like a fake puzzle, and then it shows up with the transcendent one as like a like no one can answer this, right? You know, this is kind of like uh, an eternal question, and as such, it, it allows you to kind of get one over on him. And it's would, only would it's interesting because as a, as a question, it's both eternal, but it's also only really applicable to the nameless one. Like the nameless one's the only reason why this kind of question has to exist, right? Because for everyone else, they've only got one life to live, right? So their their true nature is whether or not they can change or not is kind of obscured by the fa- of their by their own mortality, right? By the fact mm-hmm. that they're going to live one life, they're going to be presented with a certain context, with a certain time, uh, and they're going to be reacting to that. So it's difficult. There's no, like, control uh, to, to determine whether or not they have a nature. Whereas the Nameless One has lived so many times in this kind of eternal return and has gone through the same motions of attempting to uncover uh, his his identity and, and, you know, attempting to kind of, like, procure, all, uh, procure more power, etc. That, that becomes... The, that's an actual live question, uh, whether or not uh, his nature can change, because 
you know, he's gone through so many lifetimes, and it's it's always like come back to the same place. So so there's kind of like it that situation really creates an option where it is possible that you can't change. Uh, am I completely off base here? No, I think that's right. And like that's the weird thing about it is that. The difference between someone... I think the way you set it up is right, right? There are people with mortality and people without mortality. And the nameless one is theoretically the only person who is truly immortal in this, in, in the universe as it's set up. Yeah, there are gods, but they're different. The question is specifically what can change the nature of a man, like which implies mortality. and implies yeah. like a specific type of being. Whereas there are a lot of like deities that are just the embodiment of an idea. And of course that can't change. That's static. Well, and, and if it goes away, they die. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like, like if, if no one does that anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if, like, it's a portfolio, right? If this is kind of Forgotten realms kind of stuff, that you can, uh, you know, if you're Kelimvor and you're divested of your portfolio, you stop being a god. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not, you, you become a different thing then. I mean, but I, I guess I just wonder, like, if, if for mortals in this universe, they're defined by their time and context, which I think is a really great way of putting it that you just said, then that happens to the Nameless One, too. Because we get those three different versions of the Nameless One, or four if you count, like us. As right? I was giving that spiel, that, that moment in the little pocket plane prison came to me and I was like, oh, shit. Is that not evidence already that there's been evidence for a long time, perhaps hundreds of years, that, yeah, the nature of a man can change because there's, like, good you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I guess I wonder, too, like, I take the question as a general, I think you take the question the same way. It's like a big general question. What can change the nature of a man? Meaning, can the nature, the essence of a being change? When maybe it's just like a practical question, what changes it? Yeah, it could be, oh, this question doesn't presuppose that it can, in fact, change. It's specifically the, the operative word here is what. Like, yeah. what, what forces? Yeah. Um, which would be the choices you make in the story, right? The choices you make? Ugh. Like, I, if, if we're, we're talking about, like, what's the, what's the difference between... Um, you know, um, evil you. I was trying to think of their actual names, but like paranoid you, mm-hmm. right? And uh, practical you. Mm-hmm. The difference between those those two like versions of you in your head, of the nameless one in your head, are about the choices they made during during their lives, right? I guess I am. Um, I think that a lot of like when you start taking this narrative very seriously, like we are in this discussion. Um, I am brought back to last episode, like a central tension that we were finding and trying to like fully explicate the narrative of this game in terms of questions around timeline and like what, where did good you happen? Like, which is one of the reasons why the first time I encountered those people, I was like, good, you might just like, these might be shards of a personality and not fully formed entities as they Mm -hmm. existed when they were alive. I don't know. Uh, say more about that. What do you mean? Like, the timeline of when good you occurred, right? Mm-hmm. Like, did mm-hmm. you make it to uh, the the negative p- material plane, right? Was there a good you that made it there? No, um, I don't think so. So, so th- we're saying the good you got zapped up into that uh, pocket plane prison at some other time. Like, the transcendent one was just, oh. like, rolling around and, like, zapped him in there. I mean, there's something interesting that's going on that, like, about the different ways that we can interpret that scene, but I don't think that's actually what's happening. Like, what's happening to me in that pocket plane is that there are instances of the nameless one. You know, if there have been, like, hundreds of lives, right? Mm -hmm. There are instances of those lives that got so far and were so powerful that they haven't been able to lodge themselves in your head somewhere. Because remember, when the good one is talking to you, he says... um, That he is the reason why you have these weird flashbacks, right? Yes, exactly. So he's, like, living in your head. So it's not that they're trapped in a pocket plane. It's that that pocket plane, remember, was like a prism that we touched or a crystal. Mm -hmm. And that just split us apart into different 
you know, manifestations or whatever. No, I they think were, I'm, that's the thing. I think I buy that. But we also were talking about it and we were like, oh, no, it was practical you that made it to the negative plane first. That is an entity that was living. At least that was how I was following our last conversation two weeks ago, right? That that was, you know, if there was you prime, which is the very first you, which might be good you, right? Because you're saying, oh, I was like a cartographer or something before. And then there's prime plus X, which is practical you, which is the first time you made it to the negative plane and you made it with like Dakon and... Uh, Dianara and like a, a couple other folks, right? Um, and that was like a group that got split up. And then there, we know that like, and then we were also talking about how paranoid you were. You were like, no, you were the one responsible for uh, for like the, pu- the that tomb with the puzzle in it, right? The deadly puzzle and like mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. murdering. Like I thought it, I, I'd like, yeah, I, I. It's complicated to me when you start looking those. As people, because that's kind of how they were presented. But I know I think now that I'm talking, I think that I do appreciate the idea of like, these are just facets of your personality. Mm-hmm. Ah, I think I just taught myself in a circle. I don't know what, what narrative <laughs> I'm sold on now. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think the one that it the one that I am talking through, I think, is the one that the game leans hardest into. But mm-hmm. also, I don't think that it is like. It's it's non-committal, mm-hmm. right? Um, which is I don't know maybe to its benefit. There there's maybe uh, it, it, an ill-fitting canonicity to it. You know what? Is, I like you know, that better than uh, let's say it would have been somewhere in the clerk's ward that you just go into an inn, like you go into your room and you open up a chest and it's just a letter from Garion, being like, okay, <laughs> you're the nameless one. Your name's yeah. actually Steve. And, uh, you, you know, you're, mm-hmm. and this is why everything that happens, this is the lore dump letter. Hope you open this chest, buddy. Yeah. It's kind of like, was it in Baldur's Gate one or it was in Baldur's Gate two where we found out that we left Saravok? That's Baldur's Gate, uh, one. Or was it, was it Siege of Dragonspear though? I can't no, remember. No, it's, it was it's Baldur's, it's Baldur's Gate one when we return to Candlekeep, remember? Oh, okay. And we like bust and we like get back into Candlekeep. Uh, and we go. We can go to Garion's room and open a chest, and it's like you're a ball spawn. <laughs> yeah, but I just couldn't remember. There's at some point in those two games, we are given a story where we're told that like not not only like that part of it, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I think it was in Siege of Dragonspear when we go to the Temple of Ball because it's revealed that basically like Garion stormed the keep, right? He like storms the temple. And there are multiple children there, and he rescues Lion's yes. ward. Yeah, it would have been in the temple, and a, like uh, a priestess of some kind, like spilled the beans about. Yeah, about I just the whole I couldn't story. remember the exact. Yeah, I think that's right. She's like a blind priestess who's been mm-hmm. there for a long time. Yeah, I mean that's the kind of thing that like shores up. You know, I I think that's the storytelling power difference of Baldur's Gate versus Planescape is like. I think that kind of thing is really fitting for Baldur's Gate. I like that in that story mm-hmm. that there's like a, I don't know, like a, a classic fantasy canon kind of thing going on. Yeah. Like, this is what happened. It's a big clockwork universe. And here's all the true things that happened. It's very, you know, capital L lore. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I have that same desire in Planescape Torment. Yeah, I don't think it, but it is interesting, uh, and I think that, you know, we were talking earlier before we started recording, and I really like the opportunity to kind of, like, take a step back and talk about this game's story in uh, yeah. in context with the other games. Um, there's an element of the way the story works in Baldur's Gate. You're talking about that traditional clockwork story where, like, you are this incredibly special individual, and, like, you are like the the mega protagonist, right? But it's just so interesting because I think that in a lot of ways you are more important in the universe of Baldur's Gate in the Baldur's Gate series, right? You are like one of many ball spawn that is going to end up being a god. You are integral into the political like climate of that region of the world for the entire time. And yet when you play Baldur's Gate, it doesn't feel like it 
right? Like when you narratively, you'll talk to people, they have no idea who you are. Narratively, events will happen that are like you are responsible for them, but there's not, there's very few uh, acknowledgements of that on a narrative level. Like you Mm -hmm. just kind of know it because you're going through it. It feels like Planescape is this weird inversion where uh, like on one level you are very important, but on another level uh, you're just kind of like one weird story in sigil among a billion other weird stories. Go to the flaming corpse bar. You'll, you'll hear like wild stories that are just as wild as yours in a lot of ways. Right? Like it wouldn't be out of character to like go to the flaming corpse bar and be like, yeah, I've lost my immortality. That that, that fits. Right. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but as opposed to Baldur's gate, everything like you you talk you like go to a building anywhere in sigil and you like talk to enough people and one of your previous incarnations like pissed in the corner somewhere like a yeah. few years ago like it's all about you like there's so much reference to your character yeah there's something about how i mean it's the kind of narrative that we've talked about uh, a bunch of times with Baldur's skate where it's like the dirt farmer narrative right yes. like like you, you begin as a dirt farmer, and you slowly work your way up the power ladder, and you become important, you know, in the in the grand scheme of things. And <clears throat> and the two and kind of genres of RPGs is either you become uh, important either like because you're predestined to, like there is something special about you from the beginning. Yet you were a dirt farmer, but there was this hidden characteristic about you all along, like in Baldur's Gate. And there's like another genre of RPGs, like no, you actually are a dirt farmer. It was just like grit that got you to greatness. Yeah, right? you're Conan the Barbarian. Yeah, yeah, and and maybe maybe like the weirdness, the weird feeling about the way that Planescape Torment is put together is it kind of is neither of those things. Mm-hmm. It's not you were you ascended to power as the chosen one, right? Mm-hmm. Which is the Baldur's Gate narrative. You you got powerful and you're important in this world because you, um, you know, are the child of Baal. Mm-hmm. And it's not the Conan narrative at all, like no. even a little bit, right? It's you were important, you are important, you will be important. Like there, there's no point in the universe timeline in Planescape Torment where you are not the central focus of everything that is happening in this big clockwork thing. And that means that like, I I think that, you know, maybe narratively why we were so enthralled with, um, Planescape Torment early. And then maybe less enthused about the narrative beats later. At least I I was less enthused with the narrative beats that were happening later Mm -hmm. is because of the, it's almost like a fatigue, like a specialness fatigue. Yeah. Um, which it, because it's not linear, right? It's that every place, like you're saying, like every hovel you go to, you were here before and you were very important then and you're very important now. And the next time you show up, you're going to be very important. Yeah, the it's interesting because I think in a we live in a culture that is obsessed with the origin story. Right. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. we, ha- we have to every third superhero movie, we've got to reset it because we need to get that origin story again. And I don't know if it's out of a fixation to get it right, or it, I mean, there's also like commercial, like you got to reprime the audience, et cetera, right? But um, there, there, the origin story is there's how do you if you were tasked with like doing a film on Planescape, there's no origin story. That is not the one you do, right? It is a the the a narrative arc of this game is in media race. Like that's the only way to begin because it's a story about this eternal return, and you just have to like start whenever right yeah um and i think that and i think you're totally right that's probably one of the reasons why we were so psyched about this when it began because it was a real departure from you know god how many episodes like for you know 40 something episodes of us you know talking about a story that like works a certain way uh and this works a very different way. And it'll be interesting, like, as we move on to other games, like to the to the next uh, Planescape game, which I, from what I understand, is a little bit different. You've played it, I mm-hmm. have not. Yeah. Um, and these other games, like uh, Pillars of Eternity, which I think you played the second one uh, for review. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, how those things work moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, they both... Um, I mean, I can just kind of briefly say, without without any kind of spoiler... Uh, Torment Tides of Numenera, which is kind of like the spiritual sequel to this game, mm-hmm. uh, knows exactly that this is a problem and solves it in an interesting way. Mm. 
uh, like it, it, it seems to begin with the, the position of, well, I don't want to say any more than that, I guess, but okay. it, it knows that this can be a narrative problem. And so it chooses to solve it in a really interesting, uh, interesting way. Uh, and pillars of eternity is just straight up dirt farmer story. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. And the same thing with, uh, Icewind Dale, right? You create that party wholesale like you can there, there's there's nothing pre-made about it right so mm-hmm. there's i put it I, I don't have it with me anymore did i did i tell you about the uh, the timeline i found i think i did oh you told me about it but i don't think you elaborated uh, yeah maybe i didn't say it in the in the episode anyway i found an interesting timeline that someone on like the beam dog forums had put together at some point and it's like a timeline of all of these video games and it basically says that planescape torment ends the year that Baldur's Gate 1 begins, I believe. Interesting. And I wonder mm-hmm. if that's an extrapolation out of things like the events of the Blood War. It, 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 so, yeah, it is. It's uh, an extrapolation of that out of the boss or the, the like big bad of Icewind Dale, which hooks back into Baldur's Gate 2, I want to say. Mm. Um, I don't remember the exact circuit, but yeah, basically they're like shared characters and, and objects throughout the games. Um, and so, for example, I know in Baldur's Gate 2, you can buy uh, the Black Blade of Zerthon or whatever, Dakon's weapon. Yeah. You can buy that in the Adventurer's Mart. So, right, that, that implies that there's some timeline changiness. Interesting. No, so this kind of an earlier comment you, you said about kind of maybe less enthused at the end. Was it the story you were less enthused by at the end or did the gameplay like shade your perception? In, in I, you know, I've been thinking about that the past uh, couple weeks or so, the past week since we, were, we recorded. <clears throat> um, especially, and I'll talk about it in a minute, but I, I started reading the Planescape Torment novelization. Um, mm. And I was thinking about like kind of like, you know what? What part of this is so? Um, I don't. I don't know. Like compelling to me, right? And I don't know if it's like the basic plot. Yeah, because the basic plot is not particularly interesting. It's that I. I think you know. Upon reflection, that it's a game that seems very committed to filling out its world with interesting people, and. What the game seems to kind of believe on the whole is that those people are interesting because they have zany stories that ultimately tie in with yours. And what I found so cool about like going around the hive in those first couple episodes and doing all the stuff at the the burning wizard mm-hmm. in whatever it was called. Smoldering corpse bar. Sm- smoldering corpse bar. I got every word wrong. <laughs> uh, the, the smoldering corpse bar. What's cool about that is like all those people do have these really robust and big stories that that that's just not going to appear in the Baldur's Gate games for whatever reason. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know if I find the plot events of like, and then you go here and you pick up this thing and you go talk to this guy and then you go do the other thing and then you go here and then you find Ravel. I don't know if that's interesting. It's, they've done a, they did a very good job of setting up sigil as a place that matters mm-hmm. and has weight and has this kind of like very material feel to it. I remember in a, an earlier episode, we talked for a long time about like, you know, the social strata of sigil and how that works. Yeah. Um, and that all falls away at the end. Right. It does like, that. Like once we leave, we, yeah, probably once we leave sigil, a lot mm-hmm. of, because we're just like kind of stopping through. We're on a little grand tour of the multiverse there. Yeah. And we're not able to go deep on any of those places. I bet that the, like the ethos of this game, if it were carried to like the gray waste and we just spent five hours of gameplay, like in the gray waste, exploring like a part of it. Right. Yeah. Like if you followed the ethos of this game, I think that it would work. It would work in that same way. And I, I think I agree with you. There was something really refreshing about a game that was willing to set up a universe and set up like principle, like just some assumptions about the way this place worked. And it just followed through with every single one of them. Yeah. Um, there's this uh, science fiction. I remember like you commented about a science fiction film uh, recently, and I don't know if it was like um, the Wachowski uh, film. I think it might have been, or it might have been Valerian. But it was mm-hmm. basically you said, yeah, the reason why I love that uh, film is because it sets it like sets up some premises, and it just fully uh, embraces like that, and like takes them mm-hmm. to their logical endpoint. Which one uh, was yeah, that? I, 
Well, I, I, that could be either <laughs> Valerian or uh, Jupiter Ascending. Those are both movies that I think were given um, short shrift because they don't adhere to like quote unquote good filmmaking principles. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I'm, I'm willing to grant that, but I think that yeah, they they set up the balls uh, rolling. And then just follow them in places that like kind of suck sometimes. Like it really drags the movie down, mm-hmm. both of those movies down. <clears throat> but but I admire the the I don't know the impetus or the ethic mm-hmm. in it. I, I feel the same way about Sigil. Yeah, I, there there's just something fascinating where I feel I feel like in Baldur's Gate when you actually get to Baldur's Gate or you can go to any other city there, I guess, and or in Om, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't feel as real because you're going to like find there are zany stories. Certainly um, mm-hmm. they are fewer and far between uh, in those games, but they don't feel in, enmeshed in that place, which is wild that Planescape can do it because sigil is this mishmash of places. Right. But it feels like for whatever reason, sigil, this strange ever churning place that just exists at the whim of the lady of pain feels more real to me than Baldur's Gate did. Yeah. And, it, you know, I think it, I, I was just looking here while you were talking about um, that there, like, I knew that the development time was pretty short, but it comes out December 12th, 1999, and it began, it, the pitch document was produced in 1997. Mm-hmm. So it's less than two full years of development on this game. Mm-hmm. And, and for some reason, I don't, uh, I, the Wikipedia page is pretty dense, so I'm not looking at it right here. But for whatever reason, I believe that it's like an, it was like an 18 month development period of actual development. And like when, you, when you're talking about, you know, comparing this to Om or whatever, I mean, I think that the, the best version of, of Planescape is a city that's the same size as um, Afkatla, mm-hmm. but just three times as dense. Yeah. And like that's the Planescape game. And I think they're, you know, it's to their detriment they have to kind of do the tour of the multiverse kind of thing. Mm hmm. Uh, Because I think that you can, you could probably do all the things that are interesting in this game in a much more limited capacity. Um, Because it doesn't seem like, you know, I love the Baldur's Gate games, but it doesn't seem like those games are ever really interested in depth. Yeah. Well, I mean, two is the the biggest example of that, right? Like, two is, we're going to give you this gargantuan map, mm-hmm. right? And the game is, to a certain extent, going to take you all around it. But... Yeah. No, I, I agree. There is a version of Planescape where it just stayed in Sigil, right? And arguably a lot of the, that time. But to, to me, the fact that the story does get a little, like, kind of just fetch fetch quetch fetch questy uh there at the end with the tour of the multiverse that was rough i do think that that switch also coincided with some with like the mandatory fighting (laughs) um and absolutely and some of the least engaging like combat type gameplay uh that i've played in a very long time like uh which is which is unfortunate in that being said uh you know, it's a it's a it's a game of its time. It definitely bears bears those marks. But Baldur's Gate came first, no? What was yeah, fr- yeah, yeah. Baldur's Gate came first. Yeah. Uh, well, it's different teams. It's right? different teams. Yeah. Like uh, so so uh, Baldur's Gate is Bioware, and then Black Isle is Planescape. Yeah. So just uh, not as compelling for whatever reason. Didn't didn't have the the kind of stickiness or you couldn't really grok it in the way that you could Baldur's Gate. What do you mean? I, I, it may well be because of my like familiarity with Dungeons and Dragons. And I think that Baldur's Gate one hues a little closer to the, that tradition in terms of the way that the combat works. Mm -hmm. Um, Planescape just felt like a bumbly mess in terms of like the output numbers of things like damage and, how much you take, how much damage you take, and, and all of those things, right? That's how it felt for me. It felt very ephemeral and just kind of like out there. But it may be because I wasn't playing optimally. I know you weren't. 
Yeah, I was playing very suboptimally. Yeah, I think so. I think that for whatever reason... I mean... Yeah, I don't know. It could just be like partially the clarity of the 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 inventory screen, like on a basic <laughs> UI UX kind of thing, right? Yeah, because like I knew when numbers were going up, but without like a super robust arms and armor system of like really switching around like five different iterations of different arms and armor, it's kind of hard to get a sense of like what what's good and what's bad. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Baldur's Gate, you can like, oh, you know, very early, you're going to get five different versions of armor. And you're going to be able to determine, oh, like, oh, uh, this like, what, you know, I'm, I can't, like that basic leather armor mm-hmm. is less good than chain armor. Yeah. And like, I can tell that because I can equip them both. And I can see my Thacko. But then again, I, as soon as I say that, I think, oh, yeah. But then you have to know that like your Thacko number going down to negative one is good. <laughs> No, I mean, all, all of that true. That being said, I do think Baldur's Gate is doing inadvertently or not a better job of teaching you the system because, like you said, within the first, like, hour of Baldur's Gate, you do pick up four types of armor. And there is, I, I, I know that there are tons of stories about people playing Baldur's Gate and being like, yeah, I didn't know that negative armor was good until mm-hmm. I beat the game or what have you. But the big, obviously heavy armor does make your armor go down. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that could be part of it, too, right? Is that I think there's a basic uh, RPG literacy to leather armor, chain armor, plate armor, you know, somewhere in that. Whereas the first, like, ten items you pick up in this game are, like, dead flies and shit. (laughs) A rat's charm. Oh, a rat tail. Here's a dead fly. Here's, like, an embalming fluid, which is the most... Embalming fluid was the least you know roundabout weird thing that you picked Mm -hmm. up in this game you're like okay i could see how this could be a health potion maybe yeah but but yeah so i mean maybe that's the the cost you pay when you are you know narratively gameplay wise all those different things when you're breaking boundaries and and you know like whatever our opinion is like it's worked out this game is still recognized uh, as if not the best video game story of all time mm-hmm. than a top five by basically everyone. This, this still holds up even today. Yeah. What do you, what does that say? I've never really thought that was true. Like <laughs> I played this game in 2011, 2012. I know, I know at some point I went back and looked, but uh, whenever I played this game for the first time, all the way through was I, uh, you know, I, I kind of, balked at everyone who had said that and then i thought you know oh maybe that's because i you know i grew up getting to play kind of the next generation of games after this so knights of the old republic or um uh, morrowind right like mm-hmm. the kind of games that came directly after this mass effect you know and i'm, I'm saying games from the same studio or the same people but you know these are lessons learned on the stepladder that is uh, Planescape Torment, and even but even in brackets, I mean, maybe it's it's it was great in comparison to everything else that existed at the time, but people still hold this up to super super high regard, and I think it's a good game, and I think it's a great story, but I don't I don't think it's cracking my top ten. Really, I don't know. I don't. I think that I rate Baldur's Gate two over this one. Yeah, <sighs> that's a hard question for me because when I. I don't know. I, when I think of, well, because I, I think we've talked about our, the way in which we evaluate things. And I think that I, my scores tend to err on the side of just giving credit to games that can give me high highs and I'll oftentimes overlook low lows. Mm-hmm. So for a narrative experience, I just like the high highs for like the surprise and delight that I felt in some things, sometimes not even related to the main story. Sometimes it was just like, I can go to a, like a lecture hall and just listen to a dwarf talk about the blood war and just walk out of the lecture anytime I want, but it'll just keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, this is fun. Like, this is so cool. Like, it, like, I don't, I don't know if I'm measuring it in terms of like, I have had like a transformative narrative experience. Like this was a story that has been told and I'm going to like, think about it. I don't know if I'm, I'm evaluating it on that level, but Mm-hmm. I thought it was fun and cool, and I haven't had many 
experiences like it. Like I'm thinking about some things in Morrowind, but Morrowind just like a lot of like the weird story beats didn't didn't stick with me as as strongly as, as it yeah to this yeah and and maybe what I'm thinking about it like in in those terms yes like I think that the high highs of this game maybe maybe this is it right that that if we imagine this game is a waveform of experience right mm. then the peaks are dope yeah they might be higher than many other games I've played mm-hmm. the lows are m- much lower <laughs> yeah much lower than many other games I've played. But uh, the narrative lows are just game overall lows. <sighs> I, I don't know. Because I... the narrative low in this game doesn't seem that low to me. It's just, okay, it's a fetch quest. I have to like go to the next place. Um, which, yeah. that that's not that bad in terms of games. Like That's a, a lot of games. That's just all it is, right? Yeah, but that's not going to make those games are not going to make my top ten anyway, right? That's true. That's true. I mean, I just think about the narrative games I really enjoy, which are like, like a game that I really like. I really like Final Fantasy VIII. It's a game that people have strong opinions of, mm. positive and negative. I think its highs are very high. I think its lows are very middling. Like they're mm. just just fine. Um, or like Final Fantasy IX conveniently right after final fantasy 8 where mm-hmm. i think that there aren't very many lows in that game it's it's just like peaks and then like mostly good stuff you know so it's like peaks and arcs. so excellent to above average yeah like i think that's a game that carries itself all the way through in in a really strong way and that's like contemporary to that although it's in a different you know kind of uh, genre of rpg and definitely coming from a different cultural context and all kinds of things like that mm-hmm. um so maybe even the comparative isn't fair but i just think like I don't. I mean, another way of doing it, maybe, maybe this is another way of kind of reframing the, this conversation. Mm-hmm. I think I don't want anyone else to make a game like this. One and done. We've, we've One did and, it. Like, yeah, and and you'll see when we get to Torment Tides of Numenera, the ways that this that that game tries to remake parts of this game, and mm. I think those are very not strong, and where it does other things are very very strong. Mm. Um, like I, I think this is a great, you know, I, I like a good, like modernist experimental novel, but I don't want to read any of the other people who are trying to replicate that. And I think yeah. there's a lot of replication of this, the kind of profundity of this game. Well, I mean, yeah. in this series in mages and murder dads, we're now at the stage, right? Because mm. this show is a show about Baldur's Gate and its spiritual successors, Right. Yes. Um, we have played Baldur's Gate, and we have played Baldur's Gate 2. We also played this, like, nostalgia-wrapped uh, kind of story that fills the gap between those two in Siege yeah. of Dragonspear. A spiritual midquill. Yeah, a, a oh, spiritual hey. midquill. A little bit of news. Our good friend Phil Daigle from Beamdog Softworks or whatever, mm-hmm. Beamdog Entertainment, no longer works there anymore. Whoa. Mm-hmm. I believe, I'm not 100%, you should go check his Twitter, but I believe he has gone indie to make what, you know, this is just the game that he's appeared to be working on for a while, kind of independently, but he's making a Baldur's Gate roguelike. Interesting. It's not it's like, the bullet hell that we pitched him when he came no, on the show. It's it's not. I mean, I think he probably sold that to Beamdog as, <laughs> as he left the building. He said, hey, hey now. Um but yeah, it, it looks like he's making like a party-based RPG tactical roguelike. Fun. It, it does seem pretty cool. But I guess what I was saying is like we've we've now played the the games upon which every other game we're gonna play in this series is built, right? Yeah, yes. Like everything after this point is just like trying to, I don't, this may be too crit- critical, like p- feel free to correct and, and moderate this, this statement that I'm about to make. Everything beyond this point is just like nostalgia. <laughs> uh, I, I Yeah, I don't think that's wrong. I mean, <laughs> I, I think that there are there are other pieces of the puzzle that we don't have that are important. And maybe mm-hmm. we go back at some point and fill those in. Uh, you know, I think people really want us to play, um, uh, Icewind Dale. 
Yeah. But I'll be honest, I'm not itching to play that game. I think that the 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 idea is if you play Icewind Dale, there's there's very very little story in Icewind Dale. Icewind Dale is like a couple episodes, maybe a few episodes, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um But yeah, uh also I think a lot of a lot of people have like thrown in Fallout as like a yeah, that's what the other thing I was going to mention. Just mm-hmm. because the team that worked on Planescape Torment did Fallout 2. I mean, it's the same team for the yeah. most part. And so Fallout and Fallout 2 are kind of big pieces of this puzzle. And then kind of some other uh, additional stuff that's like um, of Steamworks and Magic Obscura. I can't remember the before the colon title for that game. Mm-hmm. But Ar- mm-hmm. Arcanum, maybe? Yeah, Arcanum, um, I think. Something like that. And then there is... Uh, Gosh, like Jagged Alliance, those games I think kind of intersect. I mean, they're very different, but they're you know kind of tactical, team-based narrative uh, or, or party narrative kind of games. Yeah, but here's the thing: nobody's making rehashes of those games. They're those games led up to like the Baldur's Gate, oh, and so, then well, so that's what I'm saying, right? Like all of this is part of like a big amalgamated picture of the late 1990s and early 2000s. Of which there's like two offshoot branches, right? Yeah. One is Neverwinter Nights, which I don't think is in our immediate future. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it, it is kind of the transformative moment between uh, these games and then uh, Knights of the Old Republic. Dragon Age. Effect. Yeah, exactly. All those kinds of games. Um, so that's like one branch. And then the other one is the one you're talking about. The kind of nostalgia dotted line that shoots forward you know, 15 years where, where they just, they're, ma- they're making, yeah. Pillars of attorney where they're just making Baldur's gate again with like very relatively small. Like if your grandpa saw you playing both games, it's, it's identical. Maybe grandpa's like, I guess if you're playing pong or like formula one, it's, it's, it's the same thing, but, uh, very, very similar games. Yeah, you're correct. Yeah. And so, so I guess that's the, the question is like, how much of the cluster of the late nineties do we feel like we need to have mastery of before we can confidently point backward? Um, and I, like I've played fallout one and fallout two a number of times, so I feel pretty good about those, but maybe at some point it's worth going back at least to those two. Um, Yeah. Maybe it's one of those things where we play things after that dotted line. And then maybe after, after a couple games, we like take a step back and play one of the older games and just like as a kind of a refresh on, on our perspective. Yeah, because I think that the, you know, the kind of list of things I think we probably need to to touch of most recent games are Pillars of Eternity 1, Pillars of Eternity 2, Torment, Tides of Numenera, and Tyranny. Those are Mm -hmm. like the four. Mm -hmm. Um, All of which who have, or all of which have team members from these previous games that we've been playing. They are all directly sold themselves as spiritual sequels to those games. And then somewhere in that mix, I think going back to Fallout 1 and Fallout 2. Um, but also, I mean, you know, I, I think that how long did it take us to do Baldur's Gate two a year? Yeah. God, it was a lot of episodes. It's the majority. Like we're on episode 53 right now. Over half of those episodes are Baldur's Gate two. Yeah. I mean, it'll take that long or longer to do Pillars of Eternity two. I feel confident. Did you beat that game? Yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. For your, I did for not your do review. even I did not do even close to all the side content in my initial playthrough though so because mm. there's just a lot you know yeah I think pil- like did you ever get an idea from like any of the press materials like how big Poe two was compared to Poe one I think they're about the same size I'm not the same size I remembered Poe one being pretty big yeah uh, they definitely like oversold themselves on accident uh, <laughs> for that I mean they talk about that pretty pretty explicitly about what they pitched for that game and what they could do and how much they over pitched on what they could do but they mm-hmm. delivered so i think mm-hmm. it worked out for them um well before we end time here you read you read the novelization of planescape torment or most of it <sighs> well i read some of it i read half of it i tried to well read you read of half of it and then the last page so that's 51 percent. that's most <laughs> you're right yeah i read it is uh maybe i read a little bit less than half i read it's 247 pages, and I read, like, 100 of those. So, yeah, a little bit less than half. Hmm. Uh, I would not recommend this book. <laughs> who Who is the author of this book? Written by Ray and Valerie Valise, Valisi. 
I don't, I don't know how you say their last name. V a l l e s e. And it's not that I wouldn't recommend this book because it's uh, it's bad. It's just like a normal fantasy novel, and I, you could just play the video game. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, it's not special in any way. I don't think. So I think the fan community is not a fan of that. Um. Yes, that's what I've heard. <laughs> but you know what they are a fan of? Uh huh. Yeah. So so I have the official novelization. Correct. Uh, so paperback book. Yeah. It's got TSR an ISBN published. number. It does. It has a whole ISBN number. It has TSR's logo on the side. Everything. So yeah, someone out there. So basically, this person Riss Hess. Um. There's this website that you, if you like Planescape Torment novel, and like one of the top five is this very sketchy looking URL. It looks like it's from the 90s, which I'm sure it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a PDF, um, and there's a Word document. And you open it up, and like the pages are out of order. And it's been like at first I was like, what is going on? No, it's meant to be bound. Like you're meant to print it out and like bind it as a book. Mm-hmm. But this person went through the game and just transcribed all of the dialogue and novelized the player's actions in between the dialogue. Great. I'll give you, give me, a, <laughs> give me just a, uh, do your best. I want you to guess how many pages do you think is in this? 700. Yeah, I'm looking, and this this bad boy. Let me see what the page numbers at the bottom here say. It it is like 450 pages. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's 450 pages of uh, of just the game, and I did not read that, but I did uh, scan through it as 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 well as I as I could, and uh. I yeah, two different mediums apparently. I think novel writing and, and video games. I don't uh, think that they necessarily. Uh, I don't think you can like directly tra- translate one into the other. No. Uh, so let me let Let's, me uh, give you. I mark some pages to read read to to you and the noble listeners, the viewer listener at home. <clears throat> this is Mort speaking. Okay. So w- we wake up in the mortuary. Uh, rather than doing any quests in the mortuary, we just run out into the street. This is page 12. We are out of the mortuary. Okay? Okay. Importantly, the first 60 pages or so of this, 50 pages maybe, are written in second person because the nameless one is just referred to as he. Oh, okay. Uh Uh-huh. Kind of an interesting thing. Not fun to read necessarily, but, like, I I respect the the formal choice. Mm Mm-hmm. This is Mort talking. New to Sigil, are you? asked the skull, noting his confusion. His confusion being the nameless one, by the way. Noting his confusion. They don't call this burg the City of Doors for nothing. It's lousy with portals that lead all over the sodding universe. Doors, windows, sewers, closets, just about anything that makes a hole can be a portal. They don't open without the right keys, though, so I doubt you've got a fret about getting whisked away to somewhere else when you least expect it. But like you just saw, planeswalkers coming from somewhere else might pop in anywhere. So look alive if you want to stay that way. Planeswalkers. 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 Garrick. <laughs> He's coming. Liliana. Um, but that's the kind of like writing this is. It, there's a lot of just like exposition of like, this is Sigil. This is what you're seeing. This is what you're looking at. This uh, this dives a bit. I've just opened to a, I've got a little page I marked here in the chapter, Pillar of Skulls. Mm. Okay. Ahem. Ahem. Mort stared at my feet. I'd never seen him look so miserable. Those moments they... Look, Chief, I don't even remember being human. I don't remember what life was like before the pillar. Dacon, staring into the distance, spoke quietly. It's like cupping water in one's hands. Mort glanced at Dacon, then me. Yeah, I guess, and... That's pretty much the way things are when you die. You, uh, you forget. I figure I wasn't a sterling member of the community uh, when I was alive. But hells, who is? Mort sighed again. It's just that I can't help it. Nothing's worse than being honest all the time. 
But look, Chief, if that pile of heads sees me, it'll want me back. Bad. You can't let that happen. So it's literally, th- does this ring a bell to you? Yeah, it's the exact dialogue it's from the, the game. the exact dialogue from the game. Someone went and it's all there. It's just all there verbatim with like, it's like 90% of the book's dialogue. There's just a few like paragraphs here and there about like, how do you get from one point of the dialogue to the next? Um, yeah, it doesn't work in novel form. I'm going to make a strong statement that way. I don't, I don't think that the, the, the beam should not be crossed. The, so here's the same part of the game, uh, but rewritten in the book. Okay. <clears throat> this is the beginning of chapter 13. Well, there's the dark of it, Mort said resignedly, hovering near the Tower of Murmuring Heads. You've been rubbing shoulders with the only blood ever to give the laugh to the Pillar of Skulls. I got here when I fell into the dead book because, well, I was a right bastard. I made the top shelf seer, but once I had a gully's jink, I just predicted what I knew he wanted to hear. Burks like that end up here in the Pillar, damned to rattle off true answers to questions till their jaws rot off. Thane recalled how... So, the Nameless One names himself Thane, like, 50 pages into this book. <laughs> that's just your name. Okay. Yeah. Um, Thane recalled how Mort had said he'd never be a slave again. His mind raced back over everything Mort had told him since they'd met. He couldn't think of a single bit of advice that had been a lie. It appeared that Thane wasn't the only one who'd been a different person in a past life. Oh, so, that's interesting. There's so much more... <laughs> like... I think I would enjoy reading that novelization more. Yeah, than it's a, yeah, it's not. I, like I said, it's not a bad novelization. It's just like a normal fantasy book. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, you know, not. I I don't think it. Uh, it uh, once you've played the game, a lot of it's like repeat information. And the things that's not repeat information is just kind of artfully told characterization. All mm-hmm. of which is fine. Like I, you know, um, there's way worse ways to write a book. So. Yeah. Yeah. But overall, overall rating, like, are you happy that we played Planescape? Yeah. 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 No, I, I think I, I agree with you. It was a, it was overall like a fun and edifying experience for me. Um, damn, the whole series messed up by leaving out Final Fantasy animations for like big spells. I know. Really? I mean, that's like, <laughs> FYI, if you're making a spiritual successor to these games, why are you not including this? This is a formal part of this game's history. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think that... Um, like, as frustrated as I find the play of this game sometimes... Um, like, I'm not mad to play it. I'm not itching to play it again, you know, for the next seven years or so. You know what's wild? I'll give it a we good f- decade. We finished Baldur's Gate, and I was like, yeah, I think we're done. I think I'm done with ever playing this. I think that, like, those patch notes from oh Beamdog uh-huh. actually is making me think about like making a paladin or something in Baldur's Gate and just like doing a very like vanilla good party run through that game or something. <sighs> you're you're cursing yourself. I know. Oh no, but then I'd have to do an evil run through so I can finish Kagane's quest. Yeah, so for people who don't know, the 2.5 patch came out for all of the Beamdog games. And there's like a massive, massive patch <laughs> yeah. that like fixes a million things, like adds, you know, uh, when, cause, um, gosh, who imprisoned Branwen? Oh, Do you yeah. Remember? Um, anyway, the wizard that imprisoned Branwen is like in the game. Uh, he's the guy you meet in Baragost, like mm-hmm. the contact you meet. And she never, normally in the game, would never speak to him. But now she has, like, a line, she says, mm. to acknowledge. The it's biggest like, thing is Kagane's quest. Like, this is a dwarf who, in in all of Baldur's Gate history, has, like, his quest has been glitched from the jump. It's never been finished. It's just incomplete. It's yeah. uncompletable, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's wild that they added that. I know that the enhanced edition like nodded to the fact that it was glitched. Like you would get to the point where it would normally continue and he'd be like, ah, never mind. It's cool. Um, so they like, it was an acknowledgement that it was glitched, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm interested. I wonder if they just like made that up whole cloth or if there was some like notes to go by of like, what the intended conclusion of the quest was going to be. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it's like in a day. I, I I would be surprised if it weren't like code complete and just it didn't like ah, assets there was weren't like there a trigger. Yeah, like a yeah. flag maybe was missing or something. 
Mm-hmm. But well, if it had been that easier, they might have done it before. I don't know. Yeah, that's I, I don't know. Someone it's, let it's us a, know. It's a question. Hopefully, God, I don't know. But we've got a we've got a new game. Maybe I can't go back and just play Baldur's Gate for the hell of it because I think we we got a new game we're going to be playing. <sighs> we do. <clears throat> we're going to be playing Torment: Tides of Numenera. Big modern game, the most recent game we've played yet. Uh, yes, true. We did the, we did the math. Uh, um, yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's right. The um, yeah, it's about the same length as Planescape Torment, so it's probably the same. You know, eight nine episodes, something like that. I think it'll be a good time. We'll have an easy time of it. I don't think it'll be that stressful. I do know. I remember from when you reviewed it, you were like, "Yeah, if you don't want to fight in this game, you never have to." Yeah, I think I played that game and got in like two fights the whole time. Yeah. It's it's so it's going to be wild. We will do a better job of coordinating before we start to make sure we have d- very div- divergent playstyle experiences. Yeah, and since I have played it before and recently, I I kind of have a memory of playing the big charisma, big wisdom one. Mm-hmm. Although it's not really that's not really what it is. Basically, you have these tides, um these different like stat point allotments mm-hmm. and you can use them in events and and, oh. and they're like different uh things so so it's like there's red ones and there's purple ones and there's blue ones and there's some decisions that you can make that cost like x number of red ones oh wow so yeah. this is a kind of a meta currency mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's like a kind of like a an event skill points currency kind of thing i'm i'm looking forward to it it'll be it'll be a fresh uh, breath of fresh air for sure yeah it is definitely a systemic difference it, this is not a infinity engine like game or D like system which is mm-hmm. pretty cool it's a different kind of thing but you can tune uh tune in for that uh in a couple weeks in a couple weeks yeah it'll be coming out probably two weeks from whenever this comes out we, we might take a longer break uh, I don't know, but it might be possible. Soon. We'll we'll see how we'll see how it all shakes out. But um, any other final announcements before we close it out? Uh, no. Um, check out our Patreon. Uh, that's in the link down below. You can come and support us if you like the show. If you want us to keep making these and getting through all kinds of new games, make sure you hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. And please tell uh, your friends or people you like or people you don't like about it. We we would love for you to do that. You can if you're watching this on YouTube or uh, you know any of the platforms. Uh, just be aware that in the description down below that you can go subscribe to it on Google the Google play store or whatever that is. And you can also find it on iTunes and you can also just go manually listen to it at rangetouch.com If you go find the show that is titled mages and murder dads. Um, and you've got a really big popular show uh, on, on the range touch website too. That isn't this show. Yeah. The range touch network also supports a show called game study study buddies, which is a show I do with Michael Lutz um, where we read a game studies book and then talk about it. The most recent one, was a three-hour marathon session. So I did the math, and I think that if the if the because there was like oh there's a you know an hour and twenty-four minute one, and then mm-hmm. there's a hour and like fifty-minute one, mm-hmm. and then there's like a three-hour and twenty-minute one. I think the next one, given the math, is going to be like nine hours. Yeah, like uh, extrapolated. Every time that Michael and I record a show, we say, "All right, we got to make this one a little bit shorter." <laughs> and it almost doubles in length every time so um this this next one will be shorter we're we're not gonna we're not gonna do the big robust uh thing that being said uh do not be uh don't be turned off by the length of of any of those because it's a hundred percent the kind of show where if you don't have the time to like listen to it in one go you can pause it, and it's very easy. Or at least it was for me to like pick up the ne- the next time I wanted to listen. Mm-hmm. And you, look, if you want to know about game studies books, you just got to be in it. You got to be ready for that three hours. No, are you a committed <laughs> gamer? <laughs> yeah. Are you? Conv- you know what game game knowledge thinker? Yeah. You got to put that in, in little tiny letters. After. Or, or are you are you are you like some casual that can't spend three hours listening to an academic discussion <laughs> about game studies? If not, maybe it's time to turn in your gamer badge. Uh oh. 
Um, but so we have that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you can support that on Patreon as well. Currently, our rewards are for a dollar a month, you can get our newsletter. For $3 a month, you can get the notes that Michael and I make for our other show. And for $5 a month, you can listen to our monthly podcast, which Dandy and I are about to record right now. Yeah, so we're going to get- talk about some charcuteries. <laughs> yeah, so if you got that little charcuterie talk earlier and you were like, damn, I want to know all about them charcuteries, we're going we're gonna to learn about them in the next one. Anyway, but yeah, so uh, next episode's going to be Torment, Tides of Numenera. Thanks for listening. Yeah, ciao.